Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Whammo! Hey, welcome everybody. I'm Pastor Tim. I'm welcoming to Home Run Faith. This is our baseball-themed summer series in which we're looking at some of the all-stars of the Christian faith, some of the all-time greats and Hall of Fame followers of Jesus Christ, so we can take our faith really to a big league level. Quick survey, how many baseball, baseball fans, raise your hand, come on, let's hear baseball fans. Yankee fans, let's hear your voice. Yankee fans, woo, yeah, you know it. There's a big season for us. I know we may not make the playoffs, but it's okay. We're going to pray today. Uh, it's, actually, it's really, it's the end of an era, because even, look, even if you're a Mets fan, you, you have a demon, uh, or you're Red Sox, you gotta, everybody, anybody self-respecting baseball fan has to respect number two, Yankees captain, Derek Jeter. Can we hear it for Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Oh, I love it. Some of you are like, am I in church? What is happening here, right? This is fitting. Our series dovetails with Derek Jeter's final season. He's a living legend. He is a throwback to an earlier time when stars didn't, you know, demand trades or switch teams or just go for the fattest contract. After patrolling Yankee Stadium for 20 years, Jeter's Hall of Fame career is about to finish right where it began in New York. So Jeter is quite remarkable, really. He's that rare, rare kind of breed of, you know, God-given talent, leadership, and class that is so rare in pro sports today. I want you to think about what he's accomplished. 20 years at the same position on the same team. He's never embarrassed himself on or off the field. Instead, he has won five World Series rings. That's, that's one for every finger, Mets fans. That's amazing, right? Okay. <laughs> 15 all-star appearances, five gold glove awards. He's now the Yankees' all-time leader in hits and games played. So that's more than Mickey Mantle or Lou Gehrig. In fact, last week, he actually surpassed Honus Wagner on the all-time hits list. So serious company. And we got to witness him play in our generation. How many of you actually saw Jeter play in person? You actually saw him play at Yankee Stadium? Okay. If you didn't, let me give you a taste of what you missed. There it is. For 72 years, Luke Gehrig has been the Yankees' all-time hits leader. Now, it's Derek Jeter. Jeter on the run. Makes a one-handed running catch. That's well in the left field by Giant. On Miami, back. It's a 2-2 game.
heroes get remembered, legends never die. Truly a living legend in our time. I mean, who can forget iconic moments like Game 4 of the World Series against the Mets. Lee, sorry, Mets fans, I'm just going to crush you today. Lead off home run on the first pitch of the game. The 2001 famous flip play to the Oakland Athletics. His walk-off homer in Game 4 of the 2001 World Series. That's when he became Mr. November. And then do you remember him playing against the Red Sox? Diving into the stands to make the catch in extra innings. What I love about this picture is, look at A-Rod. He's like, I ain't going in there. You know, I'm keeping my face pretty. I'm not going in there, man. Derek, no. And then Derek Jeter gets his 3,000th hit as a home run at Yankee Stadium. Truly a living legend. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But did you know this? Before Jeter became one of the most celebrated athletes in the history of pro sports, he was once a pencil-necked rookie, scrawny 19-year-old kid out of high school, 1992. Look at his rookie card here. Did you know this? Do you know where Jeter was born, by the way? Pequannock, New Jersey. What? Yeah, Pequannock. He lived in New Jersey really the first four years of his life. His parents moved to Michigan, and so he was drafted out of Kalamazoo Central High School. Uh, and then, but think about this. Two decades, he played in the house that Ruth built. That's how we know him. But before that, he was just a 19-year-old kid who kicked around in the minors playing for teams like the Greensboro Hornets, all right? And before he got a whiff of the big leagues, Derek just whiffed. In his first professional game as a rookie, he went 0 for 7 and struck out five times. Five times. Let's just say the kid was a little bit overmatched. His first season in the minors, he actually batted 202, and the manager benched him in the last game of the season because he was worried his average would drop below 200. And Derek was so homesick, he racked up phone bills of $400 a month because he would call his parents every day. He was so discouraged and homesick, right? It's amazing. That's when he was 19 years old. And before he became rookie of the year in the majors in 1996, Jeter was just a rookie, struggling, scared, as lacking self-confidence and unsure of himself. And you know what? Today, we're going to look at another rookie of the year, an early follower of Jesus Christ, who eventually became a Hall of Famer in the faith, but first had to overcome his own fear, his youth and inexperience. You know what his name is? His name is the name I got. His name's Timothy. And here's something kind of fun. Timothy was a talented young leader in the New Testament church. And ushers, I'm going to invite you to come on down right now and hand out our own custom-designed New Testament baseball cards. Check this out. Our creative team created a baseball card for every week of this series. All right, going to pass them down, take one down, pass it around. And uh, as they do that, you'll look at the different apostolic all-stars who we're going to be looking at in this series. And today you get the Rookie of the Year card for Timothy. Now, these are custom edition cards, all right? There's four of them. You can collect them all. Okay, one for each series. I, I won't reveal the identities of them. You'll have to come back, but don't bend them. These are going to be collector's items. And uh, as, as the ushers are passing those down, can you hurry up? Just pass them down real quick, please. Um, I'm going to actually, I, got, I also was getting in the mood this week. You guys remember Big League Chew? You guys remember this? Who, you want some Big League Chew, JP? Here you go, my man. Careful. It is hard as a rock. <laughs> I got like a sports authority. I'm like, there's no expiration date. I think this is from 1985. It's, it's, it's amazing. I think you'll enjoy it. Ground League Grape. Enjoy. So we're going to kick off today with Timothy. He's batting leadoff. And he's kind of the first apostolic all-star. We'll look in our study of big league faith. And this is appropriate because before Timothy became rookie of the year, 
he was a bit like Derek Jeter. He was young, he was inexperienced, and he was intimidated by the position that he was given to play. If you flip over to the back of the card, you can read his vital statistics. Timothy came from a hometown of Lystra. That's a small village in what is modern-day Turkey. And Paul visited there on his first missionary journey. That's when he first met the young Timothy. Timothy was probably in his teens or his 20s at the time. He came from a good family. Both his mother and his grandmother were Jewish believers who schooled him in the Old Testament scriptures. But now check this out. Timothy is the first second-generation Christian mentioned in the New Testament. In other words, his mother became a follower of Christ, and then Timothy followed her. And after that, the Apostle Paul handpicked Timothy to become his protege and to pastor the church at Ephesus, which was a pretty big deal. Ephesus was a big church. It had a wild history of riots and persecution. And as a rookie pastor, Timothy faced all sorts of challenges and pressures and conflicts. And so Paul wrote him this letter, two letters actually, first and second what? Timothy, to give him practical advice, to give him insight, to encourage him to have what I'm calling a home-run faith. And this is where our series is anchored, this verse on the back of your card. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Let's read this together. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the what? The gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. If you look carefully at this verse, you're going to see that Paul lays out four qualities of a home-run faith, four characteristics that he tells Timothy, hey, I understand you're a rookie now, but if you want to have a major league impact, you've got to have these four things in your life. What are these four things? I'm a visual guy, so if you're taking notes, you can draw along with me. What do baseball players play on? It's called a baseball what? A baseball diamond, right? You've got first base, second base, third base. And Paul's like, Timothy, I want you to touch them all, all right? Paul's a veteran. Paul's an all-star. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he's like, Timothy, you're just a kid. You don't know anything about this, but you're about to get called up into the major leagues, okay? You're going to serve Jesus Christ as a pastor in the big city of Ephesus. And so let me give you some major league advice. The first thing you got to know about the spirit, the attitude, the approach you need to take if you're going to have a home run faith is that this. The spirit God gave you doesn't make you what? What's the word here? Timid. In other words, no fear. You cannot go up. They're going to boo you. They're going to criticize you. But you have to be a man of faith with no fear. You can't be afraid of people's opinions. Instead, you have to have a spirit of what? A spirit of power. You got to be a power hitter. Sometimes you got to go for it. You can't just hit singles. You got to have major league power. You've got to have an attitude of love. And what's the last one? What's the last one? Self-discipline. You have to have discipline at the plate. You can't just swing at everything that you see. You've got to have self-control and work at this if you're going to have a major league impact. And you know what? These are four things that every follower of Jesus Christ needs to have if you aspire to make a mark for Christ and have an impact in your area of influence. you got to have a spirit of power, love, and self-control. For instance, it is very hard to follow Christ if you have a spirit of fear. That was Timothy's greatest struggle as a rookie leader and the one that I want to focus on today. Timothy was talented, but he had a problem. Timothy was also, what's the word here? 
Timid, Timid Timothy. That was basically his nickname. Paul says the spirit that God gave us doesn't make us timid. In other words, Timothy was easily intimidated. That's where the word comes from. He had a, a timid spirit, which is natural for a young believer, isn't it? I mean, Timothy was young. He was 19. He might have been in his early 20s. He was inexperienced. He grew up in a small village watching legends like Paul play. And here he is. He's being called up to Ephesus. Ephesus wasn't New York City, but it was close. It was a giant city, a cosmopolitan crossroads of the ancient world. This is the temple of Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was at the center of Ephesus where people worshipped the Greek goddess Artemis, the goddess of fertility. She was basically this curvy figure with big breasts all over the place. People worshipped her, kind of like Kim Kardashian, all right? It's kind of like that, all right? <laughs> Ephesus is sort of like New York City, all right? <laughs> the point is Ephesus was a mecca for black magic and idol worship, for the occult. People cooked up magic formulas to give them wealth, success, and happiness. And even though the Bible forbade it, sorcery and sexual deviance were common. So it sound familiar? So Paul took a missionary journey there, and he begins preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ. What's the good news? Here's the good news, everybody. You're sinners, and you're going to hell. You're going to need to repent. In other words, turn from everything that you've given your life to and acknowledge that there is one God, Jesus Christ, who you killed. Your sins nailed him to the cross. He died for your sins, and then he was raised to life by the power of God. And you need to turn from your worthless life and turn and follow Jesus Christ. What was the result of Paul's preaching in Ephesus? There was a bench-clearing brawl. <laughs> literally, there was a riot. You can read about it this week in Acts chapter 19. People literally started throwing punches and tried to kill Paul. He narrowly escaped with his life, but not before planting the first church at Ephesus, the Ephesian church, right? Which grew. And you know what? It experienced a major revival. There was an outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul actually healed the sick. He cast out demons in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The point is, Ephesus was a wild place. This is the big, bad city. And Paul's like, all right, Timothy, batter up, young man. You are next, big boy. Your turn at bat. Take a swing. Remember, you're going to pass to these people. Don't be afraid. Power, love, self-mind. Go. Timothy's like, nope. He was intimidated. Wouldn't you be? You ever get thrown in the deep end at work, at school? Timothy grew up in a small town watching the apostle Paul, and now he's got to take his place. I'm sure his family and friends are like, oh, no, 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 he's going to get killed. Timothy's a rookie. He's a greenhorn. He's a newbie. He's scared of his own shadow. The Ephesians are going to eat this guy alive. They tried to kill Paul. What are they going to do to poor Timmy? <laughs> so Paul encouraged Timothy with these words. He's like, Timothy, li listen to me, son. I want to encourage you. Do you know what the word encourage means? I want to put courage into you. I'm going to speak courage into you. If you're going to be an effective leader for Jesus Christ, son, you got to man up. For the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us what? Power, love, self-discipline. You got to touch them all. You can do this, son. I believe in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and you can do this. Every young person, every young Christian needs encouragement from a veteran, don't they? If you're a new believer, you need a coach like Paul who can mentor you in the faith. 
If you're a young person starting his first job, or you're on your first career, or you're a young mother and you're raising your first child, you need encouragement and coaching from someone, a veteran who's older and been there. And that's really what this series is about. Today, I want to speak to two groups of people. I want to speak directly first to young Christians. And then I want to challenge you who are older ones to develop a home-run faith that is full of power, love, and self-discipline. Quick survey. Raise your hand if you're over 20 years old. Just quick survey. Let me get a little... Okay, demographic. Over 30 years old? Over 40? 50? 60? 60? 70? Come on. Get that hand up there. <laughs> All right. Okay, great. Those who are over 40, let's just take 40, okay? If you're over 40, you got a, you know, you got a few miles on the odometer. Uh, maybe you've been in business a while. You're like, I've had a business career. I've changed jobs. Or you're a teacher, you know, you, you've, been, you've, you've taught kids or raised your own family, or you're a leader in the marketplace. Wherever you are, like you have experience in your area of influence, here's my question to you. What advice would you give to somebody who's fresh out of college? Like, like they're still wet behind the ears and they're starting. They're the first mom with their baby, you know, or, you know, they're starting their corporate career and they're working in the mailroom, but you're up in the office. What tools would you say they need to succeed at a major league level. I was talking with a friend recently. He's a high-profile executive in the corporate world. And each summer, they have college interns who work for his company for a couple months. He's got a couple of them working for him. And I said, how's it going with the interns? And he said, well, it's very interesting, Tim. I can typically tell who's going to make it and who isn't in a matter of days. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, absolutely. I go, how? And he goes, it has nothing to do with talent. It has to do with their attitude, their approach to the work. And then he told me about one girl who um, is really there for two reasons. He goes, she went to an elite college, so the name of her college got her in, and her dad works for the company. <laughs> he pulled some strings, she got the internship, and my friend said it's amazing, Tim, because she is smart as a whip. She is brilliant. She is very smart. But she has this attitude of entitlement. Like everything should just kind of be handed to her on a platter, you know, and she, 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 she has, doesn't really have a lot of drive. We actually gave her a menial task just to see how she'd react, and she acted like it was beneath her and actually complained about not being paid enough. I guarantee she won't last the summer. She won't finish. Now, there's another kid who almost didn't make it into the internship program. He actually comes from a lesser-known college, but he goes, he has this hunger, Tim. He shows up early. He is eager to learn. He is super respectful of his bosses. He'll do anything we ask. He will scrub the toilets, no questions asked. He's not intimidated. He is humble. He's teachable. And so he doesn't know this, but we're already jockeying to hire him next fall. You see, isn't that interesting? Listen. Character trumps talent every time. If you're young and you're talented, understand something. Talent is what gets you in the room. Character is what keeps you there. Your attitude, your spirit, your confidence, being unafraid of hard work, power, love, self-discipline, and no fear. So if you're new to the Christian faith, these four qualities will serve you well as you grow up in Christ. And if you're an older believer, here's a question for you. Who are you coming alongside to mentor and to coach, to teach them the fundamentals? Today, I want to briefly highlight six leadership qualities that Paul taught Timothy about having a home-run faith. These are found directly in First and Second Timothy, so you can turn there in your Bible uh, or flip there in their phone. And I'm going to show you first how this looked for Timothy, make a couple paral uh, parallels to baseball. And then I'm going to tell you how this has looked in my own life, because I'm still growing, okay? 
There, there are areas in my game that are pretty solid, my Christian faith that are well-established, but there are still some areas that I'm developing. I mean, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should never stop growing. I mean, is there anybody here who's like, oh, well, I don't have to listen to this. I mean, I have no, I got no, nothing holds me back. I got no fears in my life. I am so full of faith, you're full of it, okay? <laughs> are there anybody who's like, power? Oh, no, man, I am so filled with the Holy Spirit, the demons run the other direction when they see me coming, right? Love, oh, I'm the love doctor, baby, right? Come on. Self-discipline, self who needs self-control? Okay. Willpower, I have control over my appetites at all times. What is that, a donut? Don't mind if I do. You know, it's like whatever age and stage you are at in the Christian journey, all of us have room to advance to the next level, to develop a home-run faith that touches all four bases. So let me introduce you to these leadership principles that Paul teaches Timothy about having a big league impact for Christ. And the first one is he tells Timothy, remember where you came from. If you're taking notes, you can fill that in on the back. It's the first piece of advice Paul says to Timothy. He says, I want you to remember where you came from. And this isn't a throwaway line. In 2 Timothy 1, he writes this. He says, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in who? Your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded, now lives in you also. In other words, he's like, Timothy, you are a prime example of somebody who's been blessed with a godly heritage. His mama, Eunice, <laughs> his nana, Lois, were Jewish believers who converted to Christ through Paul's first ministry in Lystra. They had turned, passed it on to Timothy at a young age, and it impacted the entire trajectory of his life. In chapter 3, it says, From infancy, Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures, which simply means that his nana taught him memory verses, okay? So did mine. What did your nana do? This is my grandma, Elizabeth, and my mom, Elaine. And I understand if you look at the hair... It explains a lot, okay? <laughs> we had big hair in our... And early on, Grandma Elizabeth would give me a dollar for every verse of the Bible that I would memorize, all right? It seems very quaint now, but it's a major reason I'm a pastor today. In fact, I remember being a ring bearer at a wedding in our church, all right? <laughs> this is how we roll. This is going to explain a lot to you, all right? I know, Nicholas 8 is enough, I know. Uh, we, I was wearing this, you know... We had to dress up for church, and I had to wear this tuxedo, you know, for this, this wedding, and they dressed me in the pastor's study. So I, this, is, this picture's taken in the pastor's study. They said, Timmy, show me your memory verses. I went and sat at the pastor's desk and opened it up, and I was like, the Lord is my shepherd. And then I gave this sort of devilish look, it kind of says there. Um, that's me working my, my first Bible study, okay? And of course, I like, you know, then I got older, and I was like, forget that. I want to play shortstop for the Yankees. That was my dream, all right? tight gray sweats and jacked up knee socks. And when I realized that I actually had no athletic talent, I decided to become a ninja. So that's just how that worked. <laughs> but eventually, <laughs> I, I became what was modeled, right? I'm a pastor today. I'm not wearing a tuck. That's why I wear sneakers, okay? I tell you this simply to say, Remember where you came from. If you are growing up in a home where your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa have a strong commitment to Christ, you are blessed. You are truly blessed. You have an advantage many of us don't have. So don't take it for granted, kids, all right? If you're, if you're a parent, don't give up on this. For many of us, we didn't grow up with this advantage. If you're brand new to the faith, by the way, that's okay. It's not like you're at a deficit. You're blessed in other ways. You don't have the religious baggage some of us come from, right? I'm coaching a young man right now who is uh, who's in our church. He came to faith in Christ uh, at Easter. 
no church background whatsoever. He's never opened the Bible. And he has like this wet sponge just soaking it all up. And like there's no, he doesn't have any like, it's so refreshing. He has no lid. The point is, Paul's like, a godly heritage is a blessing. So if you're a parent, understand, Timothy's life is an example of the profound effect a Christian home can have on a child. Timmy's mom and grandmom led him to Christ, instilled in him a love for the scriptures, and his ministry literally changed the world. So take heart if you're a parent, especially if you're a parent of young kids. Any of you got young kids? Infants, toddlers, right? I understand your job doesn't seem world-changing at the moment. Most days it's just kind of mind-numbing, right? We fix the formula, change the diapers, fix the formula, change the diapers, fix it, and repeat, right? And that goes on. But you know what? It is life-changing. You are doing some of the most important leadership work of your life. You are planting gospel seeds in the fertile soil of your family. So if you're a rookie, thank God for your family heritage, the good, the bad, the ugly. Second thing that Paul advises Timothy then is now discover your God-given gift. In verse 5, he writes, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame what? The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, each of us has a God-given gift. You, you have a natural ability, you're given by God, but then when you receive Christ, he puts the Holy Spirit in you that supernaturally empowers that gift to build up the body of Christ. For instance, some of you are just natural evangelists, okay? You can't help but tell others about Jesus. I think of my friend Phil, right, who's sharing that with coworkers and, and inviting them to church, and so they see him reading his Bible, and they come to him with questions, and he, and he shares. It's just nice, a natural evangelist. Linda, who works at the diner, she's, she, she's, like, she's like the mayor at the diner, Linda. And she's always, you know, she's like, here's your check, and here's an invitation to Home Run Faith. And she's always, you know, kind of like invite. Every person in this room has a God-given gift. Some of you have the gift of encouragement or serving. Some of you have the gift of generosity. God gave you the ability to make money and actually be generous and help other people. The point is, you have a raw talent or ability. That is a primary spiritual gift. Mine is teaching and preaching. It just kind of surfaces naturally. But Paul's like, if you want to become a five-tool player, you're going to actually have to work hard and practice at it. Because rarely is somebody born with all the spiritual gifts naturally in place. I remember when Jeter first broke into the majors, everyone was impressed by his natural abilities, right? He had speed, natural athleticism. He was very, you know, good, good throwing arm and range. But early on, he had very poor plate discipline. He swung at everything. He had very few home runs. He didn't have any pop in his bat. That's what the scouts would say. He didn't have home run power. He actually had developed that over the first three to five years through thousands of batting practice sessions, through weightlifting, learning to pull the ball, hit a curve. That's what Paul tells Timothy next. He says, you now need to develop your gift, Timothy. He says, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God. In other words, fan into flame is, is, is the images from building a fire. Any of you go camping this summer? Go camping, okay. I took my son to like father-son camp and we had to build a little fire, right? And I was just like, oh, I got a Duraflame in my jacket, you know. <laughs> but they're like, no, no, this is from all natural. And so my son got these little pine snaps, and he breaks them up. He, get, he peels off birch bark, you know. And then we light it, just a spark. And then what do you do next? What do you do? You go what? You go, you fan it because you got to feed it oxygen or fuel to get it going. Same thing with spiritual gifts. The, the word for breathe in the Bible is pneuma, which means breath, Holy Spirit. In other words, if you want to grow beyond your natural ability, 
you will need the Holy Spirit in addition to hard work. Again, I've seen this in my own life as a, as a pastor. My basic gift in teaching surfaced in my first career as a high school English teacher. I didn't know what I wanted to do out of college, so I was like a substitute teacher, and then I was just like, I sort of love this. You're going to pay me for this? I love this. This is great. And that's how that started. That's where I learned to communicate in an organized, you know, compelling fashion. I did that for eight years. But then as liquid grew, I started preaching every Sunday, and that was hard at first. In the beginning, my sermons were brutal, long-winded. Some of my early sermons were an hour and 10 minutes long. I would preach people into the kingdom and out, all in one breath, okay? But I, but I developed that gift I, because I disciplined it. I, I began practicing it. I began getting feedback and coaching, okay? And, and that, you know what? And that's become part of now my game, right? But in the last five years, the major one that I've been working on doesn't come natural is evangelism. Uh, believe it or not, it may sound strange. I've never considered myself a natural evangelist. But, but a couple of years ago, I came across this verse in 2 Timothy 4, 5, where Paul says to Timothy, watch what he says. He says, do the what? The work of an evangelist. And that like jumped out at me because I was like, do the work, meaning it doesn't come naturally. This, this is going to take effort. You're going to actually have to practice this. And some spiritual gifts are like that. For me, evangelism took effort. It took, so I went to work. I began reading biographies of evangelists like Billy Graham, like Charles Finney. A couple of Easter's ago, I was like, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make bolder invitations. They're out of my comfort zone for people to receive Christ, believing your spirit will work. And suddenly, we started seeing results. It increased my confidence. This past Easter, spring training, experienced a major breakthrough. We had over 5,000 people with 179 people standing up to give their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time. Not like recommitments, like bold faith, stand up, and people stood up all over the place. It was incredible. That was so exciting to me. The next Sunday, we had over another 100 people do it. I gave that message out in Colorado. They had 110 people in a single service stand up. And I was like, this is exciting. Why? Because God's adding a new tool to my tool bag. But it takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes hard work. See, if you are a one-dimensional Christian you will always play to the one gift that comes easiest to you. But if you want a big league faith, you'll have to have the self-discipline to work at it. For me right now in my own journey with Christ in my ministry, I'm working on this one. This is what we just came out of, right? Holy Spirit's power, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, miraculous gifts like healing and deliverance that are beyond my natural ability, but are the power of God. That's what our last series was about, right? God greater than cancer. And I'm learning. You can see that. You're learning. We're growing as a church. And power ministry is a stretch for me because you know what? I didn't grow up with that. But Paul says, don't let youth limit you. I sometimes feel like I'm limited because I'm young and lack experience in certain areas. As I've told you, my family grew up in a conservative church without charismatic gifts. So I have some natural limitations to overcome. They're just an experience. So did Timothy. Even though he was a second-generation Christian, he was young, he was inexperienced, and sometimes, you know what? Sometimes as blessed as your family background is, it may also be limiting. For instance, in baseball, right? Family heritage doesn't guarantee you success. Sometimes you have a Ken Griffey Jr. and a Ken Griffey Sr., but sometimes you have Yogi Berra and Dale Berra. Wow, 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 never really made it. Just because you come from a Christian family doesn't mean you'll automatically have home run faith. If you don't make your faith your own at some point, it will hit a lid. You will be limited 
by what you've seen and experienced in your tradition. Let me give you an illustration that is fascinating and disgusting. I want to show you this science experiment with fleas. Does anybody have a pet you, got, you know, with fleas, right? If you have a dog with fleas, you should get you know, frontline powder. If you have a cat with fleas, you should put her down. All right, that's just, that's just my medical bet. I hate cats, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, woo, woo, all right, sorry. Bashing the Mets, bashing cats, all right. F fleas are disgusting, it's about fleas. I came across this fascinating science experiment that demonstrates the limits of learned behavior. If you are young, let this inspire you to live past your lid. Training fleas requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behavior is now set for the rest of their lives. And when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically follow their example. Their offspring will be constrained to the exact shape and size that their parents were trained to live at. Isn't that fascinating? Sometimes we grow up in an environment that puts a lid or limits on our faith. In other words, sometimes we grow up with certain things that weren't in our experience and we're suspicious of them and we don't go any farther than this. That's just not what we do. But the Lord says, you know what? I actually, I, I want to grow you. I want to constantly get you to push past your lid, the lid of tradition or beyond the lid of experience or beyond the lid of family history. I want to show you the love of, I want you to know the love of God like he's your father. But my father wasn't super loving. He was a little unemotional or he was a little detached or he betrayed us. I don't know that I could know that. God's like, I want to supernaturally rip the lid off of that because I want you to be full of power, love, and self-discipline and no fear. See, if you just stick to what comes natural, to what your experience says as a youth, for me, I would never push into this power realm. But I'm like, I don't want my faith to have a lid. I don't want to have limits. I don't want to stop, you know, just jump to the level of my parents' faith. I want to grow beyond it. They want me to grow. I want all God has for me of a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? More of the Holy Spirit in my life, in our church. But I have to push past my lid to cultivate that ability. I don't want to be capped off. I want to move beyond it. I thank God for my family heritage. It's a blessing to me. But listen to me. You can't allow your history to put a lid on your destiny. The limits of your past can't dictate your future in God's kingdom. If you're young, there will come a moment where you need to move beyond the natural limitations of what you've maybe traditionally been taught or even just experienced. God always has more for you, but you have to go after it, Paul says. You have to pursue it. God's put the Holy Spirit in you, but the question is, how bad do you want this? Are you willing to fan the flame, the gift of God that's in you? You need to be a fire starter. No more kindling. Start a fire. So if you're a young believer, Paul says this. He says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in what? In purity. Power and purity go hand in hand. They're the double barrel of a spirit-filled believer like Timothy that shatters the grip of fear. 
Timothy thanked God for somebody like Paul who called this out in him. Because in Paul, he found a father, a spiritual father. Principle number five for a home run faith. Find a spiritual father or mother. What I mean by that is make a mentor. Paul opens his letter of encouragement this way. Look how he addresses him. He says, to Timothy, my what? My true son in the faith. In other words, Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. Why? Because Timothy's earthly dad was Greek. He most likely was not a Christian. So Paul says, I'm going to take you under my wing, son. And I'm going to teach you some things that your mom and your grandmom can't. <laughs> Reality is we all need a spiritual father or mother in the faith. And what I mean by that is a mentor. Someone who can encourage, train, coach beyond your natural abilities. They can see your raw potential and develop you. For me, this was Pastor Pendell, Peter Pendell. He was a senior pastor of Millington Baptist Church. He was, still is, a spiritual father to me back in the late 90s. He invited me to teach a Sunday school class of, there were 10 people in it, okay, 20-somethings. And he said, I'm going to take a chance on this guy with a goofy smile and the big hair, okay? <laughs> but he took a chance. He took me under his wing and invested in me. He taught me, literally, how to minister and help hurting people. He took me on my first hospital visit. He taught me how to officiate a wedding how to do marriage counseling, how to do a baptism and not drown somebody, you know? Basic stuff. Well, he's retired now, but we still get together. We're friends, we're brothers. He will always be a spiritual father to me. That was 17 years ago. And you know what? As I've grown as a Christian leader, I've had to have other coaches in my life along the way. When Liquid first passed the 1,000-person mark, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I am in over my head. But I joined a, coach, a senior pastor's coaching network in New York City where I learned how to, you know, develop a budget, train a staff, lead teams. Currently, I'm being coached by Dr. David Ireland of Christ Church in Montclair and Rockaway. He's, he's a wonderful mentor. Dr. Ireland leaves a spirit-filled, multi-ethnic congregation of 8,000 people. And we meet every month for prayer, for study, for coaching. He's incredible. Why? Why do I do that? You know why I still do I'm going to do that the rest of my life. You know Why? Because I always want to spend time with someone who is smarter, more experienced, and farther down the road than me and will challenge my thinking, will help me set spiritual goals and then stretch to reach them. That's what a good coach or mentor does. If you're like, well, that's great for you, but you know, I don't have access to somebody. If you don't have access to one, look around our congregation. If you want to improve your marriage, find another couple who's raising a family you admire and take them out to dinner. Colleen and I did this last month. We had one of our, you know, our, our daughter is going to be a teenager like in a year or two, and we're like, we need advance, you know, warning. We're, you know, we've read the books and stuff. But we, uh, we, we look for a family like we admire, the Getz family. We took Alan and Esther out for dinner, and we're like, you have four reasonably healthy kids. I know you, Jared. And, <laughs> and uh, I was like, we really admire them. You have a beautiful family. Share with us some of the wisdom of how you navigated the teen years. And they just started going, well, sure, we did this. It was like pearls. We're like, we're writing these all down and everything. See, a mentor or a coach can come from books, could come from videos or podcasts. I have several authors uh, who are mentors to me. I read biographies at the beach. Just last night, I went to hear R.T. Kendall preach. He's a pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. He's like this brilliant theologian. And I, I just read a powerful book on the Holy Spirit that he wrote, and I heard he was in town. So I was like, well, I'm going to go travel and, 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 and hear him and ask him to pray for me. Why? Because wise men still travel. Go meet a mentor, find a father, cultivate a coach, or a bench of coaches in your life who can call out the spiritual gifts they see in you and help you sharpen them. It's interesting, when Jeter first joined the majors, everyone knew he had raw leadership ability, but Jeter has gone on record as saying 
he learned the most about leadership under Joe Torre, his manager and coach for all his championship years. He learned not how to field the ground ball, but how to handle critics, how to comport himself on and off the field as a man of class and character. See, there's always a, there's always a Paul and Timothy, a Jeter and a Torre. And Paul says, I want you to realize that there is no success without a successor. That is the final principle I want to challenge you with in this leadoff message. Why, why, did, why did Paul write this letter to Timothy? You know why? Because he's about to die. He, he wasn't actually laying in a hospital bed. Paul was actually locked in a cold Roman prison cell. He was sentenced to death as a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul realized, I'm going to be executed fairly shortly. He actually writes in 2 Timothy, he says, the time has come for my departure, like the big departure. And so he writes these words to my son in the faith, Timothy. I'm going to pass on the torch of leadership to you. I'm going to remind you what's important. And, and for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know what that's a symbol of? That's a symbol of impartation. Paul's intentionally giving away to the next generation what he had. Paul handpicked Timothy. He said, you're going to be my protege. I'm going to pour everything into you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to take you on missionary journeys. I'm going to groom you to pastor the Ephesian church that I planted. Paul was zealous for the kingdom, but he says, it doesn't count if I don't leave a legacy. There's no success without a successor. So here's a question for older believers. Do you have a Timothy? Are, are you thinking now about leaving a legacy? Because you may be here today and you're like, well, you know, I've kind of moved through all this. I got the basics, all that. Really? Well, then who are you investing in? If you've been blessed, you've been blessed with a strong marriage, praise God. There are dozens of struggling couples in this church who need your help. Be a marriage mentor. Sign up to mentor high school students this fall. Intentionally invest in the next generation because you know what? Many of us didn't grow up with the benefit of a Christ-centered home, and we need help with the basic building blocks of life. How to be a loving father or mother. How to handle a special needs child. Paul exhorts Timothy. He says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Now watch. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to what? To teach others. In other words, Paul passes on the faith to Timothy. And he says, I want you now to pass it on to me. Because there's no success without a successor. Christianity is a team sport. That's actually how the faith grows. So here's a challenge if you are a mature, older believer with some miles on your odometer. Who's your Timothy today? Who are you intentionally investing in? Who are you encouraging, praying over, laying hands on, passing on what God's taught you? Paul was like, Timothy, the same spirit that's in me is in you. And you can do this, son. You can do it. Yes, you're a rookie. Yes, you're inexperienced. Yes, this is intimidating, Dean. But if I can do it, so can you. Because the Holy Spirit's in us both. And the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us what? Power, love, and self-discipline. Amen? If you're a Paul, let me challenge you today. Find a Timothy. And if you're a Timothy, you pray for a Paul. You pray for a Paul in your life. Take it from me. God will answer that prayer. I just look at my life. As you step out to grow in faith, even if you look like a wide-eyed rookie... God will send people your way to open his word and teach you his ways. Amen? Yeah, hallelujah. You know, you know, why, you know why this is personal for me? You, you know what my full name is? The name that my mother and my father gave me? You know me as Pastor Tim, Tim Lucas. 
My full name is Timothy Paul Lucas. And I love being your pastor. So let's pray together and ask God's anointing on your life. Father God, I pray right now for all the young people at Liquid Church. I pray for those especially who are departing for college that you now will pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord God, an impartation and anointing on their life, Lord, to live for you. Father, we release them into your hands. You are their father. We fully commit their lives to you. I pray that everything that they are exposed to, their studies, their friends, Father God, there would be a, a godly influence in their lives, that you'd send people as they take hold of the purpose and destiny for which you created them. Father God, I also pray right now for our older believers, those of us who are been in this journey for a little bit of time with you. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict us in this moment and call to mind the faces of some young people who we see could benefit from a mentor. Lord God, may we reach out, may we actually reach down to them and invite them out for a cup of coffee or take time out of our schedule to invest and develop them and grow their faith. Father God, I thank you for the men and women in my life. I thank you for Grandma Elizabeth, my, my nana. I thank you, God, for Pastor Pendell. I thank you for David Ireland. I thank you for so many people in this congregation who I'm learning and growing with. We love growing. We say more, Lord, more. Give us more so that we could worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.